It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. Well, g'day, it's Jason Stevens, and welcome to the Spirit of Sport. So great to have you listening. Well, very excited about our guest tonight. He was one of the most highly regarded players in rugby league, both on and off the field. He was a para-junior, making his NRL debut in 2009 against the Warriors. And in 2010 and 11, he represented the Mighty Blues in State of Origin, played for Lebanon in the Rugby League World Cup, and he's also one of the top 10 players for the, for the most first-grade games appearances for the Eels, which is amazing. In 2014, he received the Parramatta Citizen of the Year Award. You probably know who it is. We have a lot in common, actually. We're both batting amazingly above our average with our, our wives, though I do, I do believe he's cooks, which oh, I'm not going to get into that. Tim Manor, mate. Welcome <laughs> to the spirit of sport. Oh, thanks for having me, mate. Does she cook? Mate, you got some cake there that your wife's made and... You I know what? You, I made it. I'm going to be honest. Oh, you made it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't want to sound too domesticated, yeah. but I actually did make it. Oh, okay. I thought you were you cooking, and now you got some cake here, but um, well, that makes Steph, sense. Does Steph cook? Uh, she's gotten a lot better. Oh, really? She, yeah, she's gotten, at, the, at the start of our marriage, uh, there was definitely room for improvement, uh, but she, she has <laughs> That's improved. That's a nice way. But do you cook? Uh, I'm good on the, on the barbecue. Um but Can you do the cabernet or the, the no? Bit? I can't. I can't. I'm, really? I do like it though. It's one of my favorite dishes. You know, I actually I had a Lebanese barbecue, which mm. um, my neighbour accidentally thought it was for council cleanup, and the, and they tossed it. But I had one of the old old school ones, actually from our mutual friend uh, Ray. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he 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 left it, and he said, "Oh, you use it." And I said, "Yeah, yeah, I will. I will use it." And as they, in what the. Oh, the grill, the barbecue, the, yeah. oh, the charcoal, yeah, the charcoal. yeah, 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 yes. no, I love doing yes. that, yeah, yeah. There's nothing better, there's nothing no, better. No, the meat tastes so much nicer coming from it. We're one of our, um, one of my friends, he owns a firebrand charcoal company, they're a big charcoal company, and they supply a lot of the restaurants in Sydney, and um, he is so passionate, and since becoming friends with him, I've refused to use my gas barbecue because really? if I use it, he'll get offended. So because you can taste, you can taste the oh the big difference. time, big time, yeah. So where do you go apart from your mum's? Where do you go for your your Lebanese, Lebanese food? Yeah, um, there's a good one that's just opened in Parra called On Sunset. They go well, nice. Um, but the original, I reckon, the best Lebanese in Sydney is in Greenacre. The Greenacre one, Alice yes. Hill. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. That's a that's a that's a special one. Because I just you know the with the. <laughs> The hummus, the tabouli, but the they they do the best. Yeah, what's the garlic dip? The tum, um, the tum, yeah, man, yeah. The tum. But I eat it like yogurt. <laughs> yeah, I've seen you do that actually. <laughs> right, right on this table about ten years ago, I saw you doing that. Well, it's just eat you eat it. It's, oh, it's uh, the best. It's the best. I remember that night actually. It was the first time I met Ray. It was at your house. Oh, is that right? Oh, first time we probably hung out, and you invited me to your house for a barbecue after we played the sharks at Shark Park. Um, and you also invited Ray for a barbecue, but Ray, you made Ray bring the barbecue and the, the meat, the garlic. <laughs> I don't know. What. Can I just clarify for our listeners that Ray Ray owns Sanity Music and a few other things, so yeah. he's not doing it tough. When I asked, him to, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I actually said, Ray, I'll, I'll fix you up, but it, it, there was never going to be any fix. Yeah, he's up. very generous, man. He's a generous man. He's just a good man. Yeah. Hey, mate, we're going to start with uh, a little getting to know you and some mm-hmm. top ten. So whatever. Whatever comes to mind first, just, just rattle it up. Sure. What was your first concert? 
Oh no. <laughs> Top dances, huh? Yes, it was actually a Taylor Swift concert. I love Taylor Swift. Yeah, Taylor Swift. Come I went on. with uh, Daniel Mortimer. We're both um, really? young bucks in our first year of first grade. And, yep, was, was that 2009? Yeah, it was. Um, you know when you go to a concert and you hear like the roar of a crowd? Yes. So this was a much more of a squeal of like <laughs> young kids, young girls. And the worst part was walking out of the of the concert. It was at Homebush and walking out, seeing the line of parents waiting for their kids to come out. So and then we're there. And, and there we are. Yeah, well, so. I, I have a confession. I somehow, through Ray, yep. funny enough, got to got backstage to meet her <laughs> and I'm lining up this 120 kilo man <laughs> with all these kids and all the parents are yeah. going oh have you got any kids and like, <laughs> no it's just me <laughs> but I took the photo and oh it's so funny she's had a great career she's had a yeah. great she still pumps out you know it, it must be hard as I, I, I've often thought about like the creativity of artists like reinventing themselves and having longevity it's just you know it's a it's a real it's a real art to it. Yeah, I, I know a few artists, and you probably fall in that category as well. Um, but every artist I know, they seem to have a lot of time on their hands. And <laughs> <laughs> you think that, but they're actually we're thinking all the time. Yeah, of like well, song, lyrics. I feel of, like songwriters are just they're all, they've always just got a lot of free time. So yeah, I know it's yeah no no that's different. I know I know what you're talking about, and yeah, hundred yeah, percent because and especially in that realm that you're you're talking yeah. about, their their songs do very very well, and that. They don't need to financially do anything for another. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. What was your first job? First job, I was um, delivering milk for pure milk. I was driving a truck. Oh. I was um, still in high school, and my brother Johnny and I would do it. So he, he literally got his peas, and the next day I was driving a big truck full of milk. Uh, we used to work at 4 a.m., finish at 6.30 a.m., and then go to school. Go from straight from school with footy training. Wow. Um, but we, th- we thought we were killing it. We were getting you know, 100 bucks cash each every day. And <laughs> that can get a lot from the school canteen, I'll tell you that, that, that much. Can. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, yeah. A decent, that's a decent income. Yeah, so we, um, that was my first job. So when, how did you learn how to drive a truck? Um, well, I had a manual car, and I just figured, well, I can drive a car, I can oh, okay. drive a truck. And I can't drive a manual. Yeah, just I dare say, I've got a few dings on that truck. Um, <laughs> yeah, the height, but... Um, that was my first job. We had a good time, though, yeah. What was your most embarrassing moment? Oh, most embarrassing moment? Probably now, in, in hindsight, and on the Taylor Swift theme, was uh, singing Taylor Swift with Jared Hayne on, on stage at, at an exo day once in, in front of about 5,000 kids. And <laughs> At the time, it seemed okay, but looking back now, it's still on YouTube and still comes up to haunt me every now and then. And... and- did you get you better than Jared? Would you say? Locally? Oh, he, he he was a coward. He was a <laughs> he was my lips. Yeah, he missed all, the whole chorus and just kind of chimed in for one word at the end. So. Do you still keep in touch with him? Or? Yeah, yeah, I see him all the time. Is he's going okay. He's doing really well. He's you know he's got um, his family now. He's up, living up the coast. Um, he's heavy. He's, he's looking he? very thick. Really? Yeah. Um, Did he like his food when he was playing? Was he? A- he blames me. He reckons I kind of. He never used to eat dessert until he met me, and now he's an addict. Um, but yeah, he, he definitely likes his food now. That's for sure. <laughs> what about uh, favorite movie? That obviously you can't say Chasing Comets, my film, because oh, that was first thing that came to my mind. First thing that came to my mind. Do you? I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Four Brothers with uh, Mark Wahlberg. 
I haven't seen it, and I've seen all, most yeah, of his it's films. Yeah, Four Brothers. Oh. I, I don't no, know no, why. No, I have seen it. I have seen it. Yes, you seen I it? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's I got, um, I think, Andre 3000 or yeah, whatever yeah, his I, name is. I've seen it. I have seen it, yes. Yeah, so it's like four adopted brothers, and it's their story. It was really cool. Why, why did you like that? Why did I don't know. Well, I think being one of four brothers, maybe I kind of related, to, like I felt a bit of connection to it, but I've, I just really enjoyed it. I liked the storyline. I liked the way it all came together at the end, and um, yeah, it's one of my favourites. Now soon you're going to be seeing our mutual friend Phil Wade, who's a is a yep. gun producer. He's got a film coming out, Falling for Figaro. It's mm. a rom com. Are you a, are you a romantic comedy guy as well? I, I love rom coms. I, I, I know you do as well. Yeah. Um, they're, they're probably actually my favourite movies. I don't have, I don't, I don't like scary movies or horror movies. No, I don't either. No. Um, I probably should like action movies more than I do, but I don't really enjoy them that much. Um, rom coms are just easier to watch. They you don't have to think too much. Um, there's usually a love story involved. That's yeah. I'm, that's, yeah and that's it's the up name my rom com. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you have a pet hate? Um, yeah, I don't like it when people beep on the on the road. Jeez, um, I was beeping this. That's so <laughs> funny you say that because I was playing a game with Presley where I beep yeah. in the car and wave to to people. <laughs> Presley, and he was just looking at me like that. Oh. He's only eighteen months old. It wasn't registering, but that's an old gag. It's an old. Oh. It's, when you wipe it, <laughs> <laughs> my um, my wife's a crazy African. She's from South Africa. Yeah, and she got bad road rage. Oh, really? And yeah, I I'm couldn't not, see her as being real angst. Oh, she's she's, she's, she's very um, calm and gentle, but on the road, she's got a switch, and she doesn't mind using the horn, and it drives me crazy. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't like the horn on the road. It's not going to. It's not going to change anything. Like, it's not going to yeah, change. Yeah. No, a person from history you'd love to have met. Oh, that's a good question. Um, just all I actually thought about this recently in terms of with all the elections going on in America, but Abraham Lincoln, I, he's Abraham someone I'd love to have met. Yeah, yeah, wow. Just obviously thought a lot differently to every other president that had come before him, and wasn't scared to um, you know, make some changes that people weren't willing to do. And yeah, I think he's he's one I'd love to meet. Have you seen that film? Uh, no, I haven't actually. Him? No, I haven't, no, I haven't no, seen, I haven't seen it. that. No, I'd like to see that. Mm. Something you wish you were better at? Oh, there's a lot of things. Um, singing, obviously. Singing is one that I was just better at. <laughs> Dancing, I, I can't move at all. Which really? Too, be handy to be able to do step? it. Nah, I've got nothing. Really? I'd love to, to just be able to whip something out. Like, you know, oh no, I don't dance, I don't dance. And be able to go, boom, like, I'm, just, I'm on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the thing you did growing up that made your parents the most upset? Uh, hmm. Yeah, I think when I was in on tour in New Zealand with um, the under-17s Paraboys, I bleached my hair. Yeah, did you? And Blondie. It, yeah. So with why, a, why did that? Why did that? We did, there was about twelve of us that did it. So we all, you know, thought, well, we were bored at the hotel one night. We all did it. And um, growing up in a in a conservative Christian Lebanese household, <laughs> it wasn't. Um, it wasn't. It was very much frowned upon. So. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's the biggest thing you've been nervous about? Um. I, th- I think we, we kind of spoke off air about it as well, but um, just the unknown sometimes. I think growing up in the football environment and being part of that, um, you know exactly what your income's going to be, you know what your day's going to look like tomorrow, you know what your week's going to look like your month, and then to kind of go into the unknown and you, know, you finish your career and you don't know what your income's going to look like, you don't know you know what your days or weeks or months will look like, you know what your future will look like. Um, that kind of yeah, definitely gave me some anxiety and nerves towards the end of my career. Um, the last couple of years, mm. um, but yeah, in hindsight now, looking back, if I knew 
how it's going to end up, like and how things look now. Um, if I knew that, I probably wouldn't have spent you know that energy um, wasting that nervous energy on on being anxious. What's the lesson that's taken you the longest to learn? Um, hmm. I think I think on the same theme, letting go, letting go of the control. I think um, I've always wanted to have that control of knowing exactly what things look like, and le- learning that lesson, just letting it go, and and just having a bit more faith, and just trusting the process a bit more. That you know, God's got it in control, and I don't have to micromanage everything and be in control of everything, and just know that things will work out. Um, it's, um, it's easy said than done. Like I'm not there yet, but I'm yeah. definitely learning that lesson along the way. It is hard. It is it is a challenge a lot of us face. I faced it because you know, and I, I didn't have only had my wife, so I didn't. Um, but actually, at that stage when I retired, I didn't. Have, it was only me. But yeah, obviously, there's the the, um, the weight of that. You know, goes to another level when you've got family that you you want to provide for as as well. Mm. Um, I guess that's why you know I think you know the NRL have been. Yeah, I mean, encouraging and putting resources towards trying to help players start, soon, you know, start straight away to pre- prepare for life after. But you know, there's, there's, and it's great, and it needs it. But you can't, in a way, it's just that that unknown and that you somehow you've just got to face it. Anyhow, do you know what I mean? You just got to face it. Like getting up that day yeah. and you're not going to training, mm. and there's a there's a loss, isn't there? There's a sense of loss, you know, with the boys and stuff like that, and. Yeah, well, preparation-wise, I couldn't have been more prepared. Like I, um, I, you know, I studied a sports business degree, finished that, then I did financial planning diploma, did a real estate license, did wow. a did a, like I just so studied for my time, career. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and on top of that, I did a transition. So the last three of my contract, I did a one day a week work with the commercial team at Parramatta, um, learning the field, so I can kind of transition straight into that. Um, so. Realistically, the, the being anxious is kind of stupid, and, and you look back at it. But you just, like you said, you can't help it. Like you're just so used to doing one thing your whole life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I had like everyone from the outside was telling me just relax, you're gonna be fine because they could see what well, I couldn't. Uh, and I look, it's funny because I look back at my earlier in my career. I used to look at Heidi, and Heidi spent the last couple of years of his career stressing so much about his post life. Really. And he was a yeah, what's it? Is it the Norm Prover, like the most popular yeah. player? He won that like four to five times. Yeah, right. He was most loved. Everyone, everyone would like. He was, he was always going to be fine. And I used to see him think, stressing on me, mate. You're going to be fine. Like, what are you worried about? And he is fine. Um, but it's funny when I was put in that same position, I went through the same thing, and I, I kind of was anxious and worried about what the yeah. next chapter is going to look like. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think no matter how much the NRL helped prepare you, and you know, you know, obviously, you know, Hep um, from the NRL, and you know, he's doing a great job in putting steps in place to help players prepare for life after football. Um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how prepared you are, there's always going to be that challenge. And you look at you know, guys like you know, even Thurston's and the Cronks, and it doesn't matter how good they are now and how good they were as a player, there's always going to be that part of them that's going to be a bit nervous about the next chapter. Yeah, absolutely. Just speaking of, of, of the playing days and so forth, do you have a, a favourite sort of locker room type story that you can share that you can share for a conservative audience <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah actually I was I was telling this story last night cause I just, and so it's still fresh in my memory um, we're playing against the Bulldogs at ANZ Stadium and um, we finished the game we actually had to win that game and we got into the change rooms oh, this is PG so we'll just anyway we get into the showers Phil's take taking his jocks off and five dollar note falls out onto the floor of the showers I was like, what's, what's, what's going on there? And he just giggles to himself as he, as he does. Um, so then he proceeds to tell me the story. And we actually, we even found the video evidence during the week to see it. Um, so what's happened was there was a kick chase. And 
you know, in, in in league, obviously you want your whole, you know, your whole team chasing the kick. Yeah, he's let down the team and not kick chase so that because he saw a five dollar note on the field. <laughs> He's gone down and pretended to do his shoelace. He's picked up the five dollar note, put it in his undies, and kept chasing the ball. So that's how the five dollar note. Totally tempting. Tower. I've got to oh. say. <laughs> he was the best. He was that the is best. the best. Yeah. He had, a, he had, he had a, um, and you did as well. That that grand final, the two thousand and ten nine. Nine, sorry, to nine yeah. against the Storm. Yeah, like the finish to that, and and was just, you know, I think another couple of minutes, mm. almost a bit similar to this this one against Penrith, was so similar that you yeah. ran them down. And and and, uh, and I noticed Phil Gould this week said um, that he still counts that grand final for the Storm. He says they've won six. And, yeah. and people came back at him at, on Twitter saying, no, 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 there was two that had been yeah. taken away. But how, how do you feel about that? Well, well, we we cheated the salary cap and we got a wooden spoon, so <laughs> you got to give them credit for at least on it. Well, at least they did. Um, no, I, I got mate. Honestly, they they earned it. Like I, at the end of the day, they still have to perform. Like you can't just because you've got players getting paid more money doesn't mean that you guarantee the comp. Um, they still have to perform and they played well. Um, and I was speaking about that game, you know, during the week. And I said that the before the grand final, there was a lot of similarities between our team and Penrith. Um, you know, we had a really good run leading into the grand final. We were full of confidence and belief, and you know, mm. we had the music blaring in the change rooms. Think similar, similar to uh, the Penrith team this year. Um, I just said though, I just felt the storm were going to be too good because when it came to the big moments, um, like the big games, they got too much experience, and mm. um, they they showed that on the, on the weekend against the Panthers that once um, once the big game came, they just went to another level. They did, they did. I mean, everything went right for them. In a way, yeah. as well, I got I got to say, but um, it, it, that, that, you know, just consistently to do what they do, there's some, the, 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 there's no one better. There's no one better. There's no one better. Yeah, Craig Bellamy's obviously very good at what he does, but you know, the, to have a, a team that's been consistently that good for so long, and not only that, like they've churned over so much talent. Like they've let go of obviously you know, Billy Slater's finished, Conk's gone, Inglis is gone. Uh, when they had all four of them, you can understand why they were doing so well. But they've had to produce new players all the time. And you look at now, Jerome Hughes and Pappenhausen and Munster. All these guys were guys yeah. that they come through their system, and it, you they've know. reinvented their game for yeah. for these for these players. Which yeah. you know, it's just it's you know they deserve it. But I, I, on that issue of the the two thousand and nine, I I kind of feel like well, I mean, the thing is, if you have that salary cap in place there, they don't have that team because you can't those players. Unless those players were willing to take less and stay, yeah. which is yeah. what a lot of the Broncos did in those golden years, where they had star-studded Origin teams, you know, that but they all took less. Yeah, which then then that's fair enough, and you still got to perform. But I just think, obviously, if they weren't prepared to take that 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 cut, because that can affect you too. Like finding if you know financially, you're, you're the bloke next yeah. year is getting like. <laughs> but yeah. I, I don't know. I was, they've still got to perform. They're still, it's still an incredible feat. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's still and I, the question's got to be raised, though. Like, at that time, how many other teams were doing the same thing? You know, you just... That's true. That, you know, I've got to say, that's true. Having having played myself for a long time, like, you know, you're always hearing stuff. And Well, like I said, it was only a few years later, Parra got done for the, for the same thing. For the same thing. Um, and, you know, obviously Manny had been in trouble a couple of times and, you know, the Sharks were in trouble for well. it. So yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Melbourne were well, one one team that got in trouble for it, but you don't know how much was going on at that that's time. That's true. That's yeah. true. 
Mate, you started at the Guildford Guildford Owls. Yep, Guildford Owls, the mighty, well, the mighty Owls. How old were you then? Mate, I didn't play for you till I was thirteen. I um, I was a, I was a soccer player. Me. Oh, really? I was a soccer player too. No way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my body was um, yeah, more made for league than it was for soccer. Yeah, that's exactly uh, right. Well, I actually, was alright at soccer. I got uh, I got leading goal scorer two years in a row. As a kid, but they, they called me a bulldozer because they took out a few goalies. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I played when I was 13. Um, I got picked up by Power as a 14-year-old and pretty much never looked back. It kind of went... I had a pretty blessed run up the, up the ranks, like going through the grades. So did you and your brother Johnny get picked up at the same yeah, time? Yeah, oh, no, he got picked up a year later. So I got picked up a, as a 14-year-old at a schoolboy carnival. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the following year Johnny played and we, we played a lot together at Power. Yeah. Throughout the grades together. So when you say picked up, does that, did they offer you a scholarship or did they? I, they gave me a contract as a f- fifteen-year-old. Actually, I was given my first contract, oh, which wow. was for three thousand um, dollars. Wow! So, no, I thought I'd made it at that stage. Mate, I, my first one was two hundred dollars. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> three thousand yeah. is not too bad. <laughs> But just to see a contract with your name oh, yeah, and the yeah. Parramatta Eels logo, because yeah. I, I mean, I was a Para fan growing up. Were you? Were you a Para fan? No, up? I actually used to go for the dogs when I was a kid. Oh, that's right, I read um, that. I read that. Yeah. But then, obviously, going like starting to play in the Para colours as a fourteen-year-old, I quickly switched over as a fourteen, fifteen-year-old. Starting going for Para, looking up to the first-grade team, dreaming of playing for them, and yeah, so I quickly switched over as a as a teenager. Yeah, right, right. Mm. So, so you played. You played. Um, was it Matthews SG Ball? Yep, we played two years of Matthew, so we won both those comps, and then we played a couple of years of SG Ball, and then I played in that first 20s competition. Actually, that's where we, we probably first met. Um, it was at an induction for the 20s. For the 20s, yeah, yeah I remember that, yeah. Um, so I captained that Toyota Cup team, and we had a strong team that year as well. Um, and then I was just pretty fortunate. The ne- very next year, I was 21, and I debuted around one of that year and never looked back. So A mate of, my, a mate of yours said, that you were a prolific try scorer back in the end. <laughs> Is that true? And what happened? Yeah, well, I didn't score many in my NRL career. Um, <laughs> Did you not? You scored. I scored. I think I scored six in my whole career. <laughs> Still. Um, but I got, yeah, under 13, so I, I won the um, leading try scorer in the district. I got 72 tries in one year. I was, but I was that I was that fat kid that everyone would have been like, he's not he's not, th- he's not 13. And I, probably, I think I had a f- full beard or something back then as well. And, uh, was there a lot of um, you know coming from a Lebanese background and and so forth? Were, were your parents ten- tentative in any way? Like were you playing? And yeah, well, mate, even ten years into my career, my, my mum would still cringe every time I got tackled. Um, yeah, my, my dad started to really embrace it, enjoy it. Um, but yeah, early on, there wasn't a huge amount of support to play the game. Yeah, right. Uh, and even in my NRL career, like I think my mum would come out to every Johnny Manor Cup game, and other than that, she just happily watched it at home. Okay. Um, they were, I wouldn't say they, they were fanatics or love their footy. They were proud of their son, but um, they never really were in love with the sport, yeah. Because, you know, my mum actually, when I was in the, the 14s and I got into a blue, yeah. um, my mum came out onto the field oh, really? and tried to pull the guy off. Really? Yeah, good. <laughs> the European bulldog. I can see your mum doing that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think it's different for Euro- for Europeans? Um, you yeah. Know, I th- but I think, and I was talking to Robbie Farrow about this the other day, I think there's going to be a new generation. So we, we came through, you know, a lot of our parents immigrated to Australia um, or migrated. And then what happened is they knew nothing about that sport. They, yeah. Some of them might have supported a team. They didn't understand it technically. They weren't loving their kids playing it. Whereas now our kids are going to come through a generation where we know our sport, we understand it a lot better. We're yeah. going to encourage kids to play it. So 
I think you'll find a new wave of, of um, European or ethnic, ethnic kids coming through the, the grades that will um, be a lot better than the ones in the past, I guess. Where did your parents, where were they born in Lebanon and when did they come here? Yeah, well, I went to Lebanon in 2018 for the first time. And I, took, I took five parables, uh, actually five of us went. So I took Jared, um, Mitchell Moses, Nathan Brown and Michael Jennings and we went over to Lebanon. Did you film some of that from memory or was it just... No, nah, we just took a few stuff? photos, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, right, yeah. Right. So we just went over and um, we actually went to the villages in the, the north where my dad is from. I've actually both my mum and my dad. So my dad's from a village called Doraya, mum's from a village called Minora. And it was just awesome just kind of understand a bit more about, you know, where our ancestors came from, where my parents grew up, um, and kind of learn a bit more about what makes them tick and what makes us kind of the people we are as well. So, How would you describe the, the – are they villages, would you say? Or they, yeah, yeah, they're, they're proper villages, yeah. Wow. And you can understand, like, you look at my grandpa or when he was alive and you can understand, you know, the village mentality that he had in, in Australia. He still carried that from, you know, from back home, yeah, he still. So he came here as well. Your grand, your yeah, my grandfather. Right? Yeah, so he brought his kids here, and yeah, like I said, he took the can take the kid out of the village, but you can't take the, the village out of the kid. Yeah, so yeah. He, even though he was you know seventy, eighty years old, you know, he still had that village mentality and still thought and acted the same way he would have back in the villages in Lebanon. So, so like, what, what, what prompted him to? Oh, the civil war. So that, that prompted most of the oh, uh, wow. Lebanese community in the sixties moving towards Australia or anywhere. Like a lot meant to Brazil, a lot to America. Um, a lot of them came to Australia and that's how it prompted them. Actually, I heard a story the other day about my grandpa and he was, um, so during the Civil War, they used to walk home from Tripoli and Tripoli was a pretty dangerous place at the time. And my my dad's oldest brother, Tony, used to walk from, from work with his father, like my grandpa, back home. And there was one little like space between two buildings where it was always dangerous because there, there was always, um, you, know, two, you know, two people shooting at each other, two different tribes shooting at each other. Wow. And my grandpa would send his son through the gap first. You go <laughs> just as, as like a decoy, make sure there's no one shooting, and then, and then he'd walk once he knew it was safe. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. And I asked him, I asked him, what would you, he goes, and then he's, he's, he would say in Arabic, but he'd say, if he got shot, I can make another one. <laughs> they shoot me <laughs> when it finishes. <laughs> Well, eventually he'd yeah. be able to make his own if he... If he yeah, yeah, well... <laughs> that's yeah, hilarious. Yeah. Oh, that's, oh, my gosh. So that's the, uh, that's the village mentality I was talking about. <laughs> and so your parents met over there? No, they met in uh, Melbourne, actually. So oh, they met in Melbourne? Yeah, my mum came over here. She went to Melbourne, and they met a, at a church conference in Melbourne. Um, so, my da- you know, I find this fascinating now, but my dad was 26 at the time. My mum was 16. Really? And now, you know, if you think about that now, it's um, it's ex- apparently back then it was a bit more um, acceptable. But yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad used to drive his uh his GT down to Melbourne from Sydney. Um, really? Yeah, pick her up from school. So I'm, yeah, I think <laughs> <laughs> this is sounding worse. Probably. Yeah. So um, you know, obviously they're very um, yeah, they're very conservative Christians. So they they there was no funny business going on back then. But um, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of how they met. Wow! And yeah. so, so he'd be commuting from, which is a fair drive back in a with a GT. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's love, mate. I yeah. know, I know, it's sixteen, <laughs> but it's still, it's still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they're still going strong. Wow! How many, how many years now with that? Oh, that's a great. Oh, God. actually, you wouldn't know. Couldn't tell you. How uh, long have you been married to Steph? <laughs> <laughs> we got married in two thousand and fourteen. Okay. 
Yeah, six years. So how did, how did that all happen? You you were going to the same church, or um, so I started going. I grew up in a, so I grew up in a Baptist church that my mum's brother was a pastor, and that storyline. So what happened was an American missionary left left America to start a church in Lebanon. Started a church in Lebanon where my father would would attend, and then the civil war happened, and everyone that was going to the church kind of left the country. And this uh, American missionary, Richard Hester, found a lot of them, my father and a lot of the group went to Sydney. So he, he followed them from Lebanon to Sydney. And they started the church in uh, my uncle's lounge room. Oh, uh, wow. And that kind of just grew and grew. And then eventually my mum's my mom's brother became the pastor, took over. Um, so that's a, church, that's a church I grew up in. Um, and then as I started playing footy, Jared Hayne got saved in 2008 in the World Cup playing for Fiji. So I used to take him to uh, youth group at uh, Hillsong every Wednesday night, just to encourage him to keep going to church. And just by doing that for, for years, I, I came in with good friends with a lot of the people there and close to a lot of people there. And then I met my my future wife, who was um, a college student there. So she came from South Africa to study at Bible College. We met there, and um, the rest was history. Was her plan always to go back, or did she? Yeah, yeah, she she wasn't planning on staying. I kind of met her towards the end of her, so she only had a couple of months left in the country. Oh, really? Which is why I proposed after six months. I'm like, you know, <laughs> I thought I better lock it in for anything. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, she she was literally finishing her her course, and I, I proposed to her, and we, we locked it in, and wow, yeah, we're still going strong too. So, so she she. You know, she's close to a family. I know she's close to a family. Mm. But, how do, but how does that work? How does she find? Because that yeah. would be a struggle. She, yeah, she definitely struggles, and um, she she has some days when she gets not homesick because I think she loves Australia. I think she just misses her family, mm. and we're starting the process now, trying to get them over here. But I'm learning that that process isn't as easy as it sounds. Um, yeah, getting getting parents and a parent visa and all that over here is um is a, it's a long, lengthy process, it's an expensive right? process. Yeah, really? so we started the ball rolling, but um. I think that's good because it's given her a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Like at least it's, we're working towards something now. Like she can see that there's a finish line rather than nothing at all. Um, so yeah, I think once her parents are here, I think things will be um, a lot better for her. Like she, South Africa's got a few, a few problems at the moment. Oh, yeah. um, so I think it's not so much her wanting to go back there; it's more her wanting to bring them here, which is ideal. Did you go there and do some? Some work was it with compassion? I can't remember. Yeah, no, we went. Um, we did a compassion trip last year to Uganda, um, but we did South Africa with um, the Hillsong Africa Foundation. Yeah, wow. So, so it took a few paragons over there. Can you tell us about that? Because I don't know, maybe you, you bought was it a well or so there was something you you did for that area, which they were really they were just so grateful. yeah. So in in South Africa, in South Africa, um, in one of the townships out past Cape Town, we ended up buying a brick making machine. That's it, the brick yeah, machine. Yeah, so that was so. Um, really handy because what it did was it allowed them to make bricks easier, which they can then sell on the marketplace and make money or they can use to build their own buildings. Mm. Um, and it was cool to go over there and see the difference that was making to the, the community there. Um, but you manually, you manually worked too. I remember seeing footage. Yeah, that, that, that was... Um, Unless that was just for the cameras. That was, then you get that, <laughs> that was a different trip. That was to uh, Rwanda. Oh, that was Rwanda. 2009. Oh, wow. 2009. Wow. That was my first year of first grade. And okay. um, the CEO at the time, Paul Osborne, organised a trip to Rwanda um, through um, Hope. I want to make sure I got that right. Yeah, that's right. It was, was um, Mark Check. Mark Check's yeah. foundation. Yeah, yeah. so we... Um, we did a trip there. That's kind of when I first met Justin Poor, and a few of us went over there, and that was a really cool trip. That kind of gave me that bug to want to do more in Africa. I want to help out more in Africa. So since then, we've we've tried to do as much as we can. Um, and as recently as last year, we did um, we took uh, Ryan Pappenhausen and, and Christian Welch to Uganda. 
um, the Manor Foundation helped raise some money for Compassion to, to do a, um, a, a skill development centre there. So we took them over there. We saw what they did over there and um, just got to you know, hang with the kids and, and meet my sponsored children. And you know, that was a really oh, cool yeah. experience. Um, and Christian and Ryan were amazing. I, I actually hadn't really had much to do with them before that trip. How did they come on board? Did you know them or did you just invite them? Well, Hustle Media, they, um, the, the guys coming over that, that um, were filming it and, and making the doco, they, they used to work at Para and I, I was going to organise a few Para boys. Um, but the Para boys being the way they were, they, it was very non-committal and it was very hard to lock things in. And because I was, I guess I was their mate, it was a lot harder to chase it up. Yes. Whereas Hustle Media were just like, listen, if you want, leave it with us. We'll organise a couple of players. And I said, yeah, that's, that's probably much easier. Let me focus on my footy. You guys can organise it. Um, and they organised Christian. And within, literally, like, I was with the Power Boys. I was probably spending three months trying to get them to fill out paperwork and their passports. And yeah. That's these exhausting. guys, within two days, had everything they needed done, really? had their needles and their shots taken. And, wow. Um, and they were just, like, all in. And going over there with them and, and just kind of getting to know them a bit more. I can understand, I guess, the culture that Melbourne have, and you know, it's um, it, it, it makes sense. Like their success isn't just because they're great on the footy film; it's because of guys like that they have that, um, it, you know, enrich the club and make it a better place to be, and and buy into what the club's trying to do. And um, I can't speak, you know, more highly of those two. You must have been over the moon for Ryan and his game. Yeah, you must have been just like, wow, haven't had shared that experience with him just to see him. Yeah, well, both of them. I thought Christian was like a he close second best. You yeah, know? like if yeah. Ryan didn't get the medal, I thought Christian was one of the yeah, was one great. of the best forwards on the field. Both of them, yeah. Um, and it, yeah, obviously, there's a sense of pride watching both of them. Like having get close and getting close to both of them last year, um, and then commentating. I did some commentating early in the year, and just seeing them both, like you know, being able to call the game and seeing Ryan like excel and and go to a new level this year. Um, you know, it's obviously great to see that and it's really rewarding to see that you know these guys who are giving up at their holiday to help people overseas were in turn you know ripping a bit of rewards and and doing some amazing stuff on the field timmy is a strong christian obviously a man of faith and and uh do you um have you had any experiences where you've had opportunities to share to share your faith do you find that easy do you find it did is it something that you you know you'd rather just you know let them come players come to you or yeah, I, I find it easy. I definitely found, you know, well, my method was more let them come to me. Um, you know, I thought if I can just live like a life. Steph. Like Steph. <laughs> <laughs> no, Steph I chased. <laughs> oh, I chased that. Oh, I can't claim that one. Um, but in, in sport, and you know better than anyone, that it's an emotional roller coaster. It's, yeah, it is. You know, and I found a lot of guys that came and wanted to know more about faith and wanted to come to church and guys that wanted to get plugged in were usually going through a tough time. Um, yeah, the roller coaster while there can be a lot of ego and a lot of um, confidence when you're at the top, a lot of these guys that people um, you know think don't have any weaknesses, that when they get injured or they get dropped or when they've gone through a tough time, they um, they really feel it and they feel it a lot more than people would expect. Um, That's so true. That's so because we're very fragile, I think. As yeah, as people, we're fragile. I yep. think you know. Well, even more these days, and I think social media is a huge part of that. But back in the day, if you had a bad game, you knew you had a bad game. And if the papers didn't write about it, you wouldn't really hear much about it and you'd move on. Whereas now if you had a bad game, you know, with social media, every fan's letting you know how, what they thought of your game and you can't really escape. Yeah. The, you know, it's not like there's a, you know, a wall between you and the fans now that they just have that so much access to you. So, yeah, and the, the biggest encouragement or thing I can encourage a player to do these days is just stay well away from all that because, and it's easier said than done, but 
the more airtime you give to those, um, you know, trolls or fans, um, the more it can really affect your mental stability. Mm. Um, but yeah, so obviously a lot of guys that would get injured and that you know they'd be struggling. You know, they'd they'd, they'd be the ones that would come up and say, "Do you mind if I come to church with you this week?" And um, and I found it was a really good opportunity to be able to speak to people about my faith and why I believe what I believe. Um, I never really went around with a Bible bashing people, but I always mm-hmm. wanted people to know that you know, I'm, living, I, like, I'm living my life a certain way for a reason. Um, and that started when I was 15, 16 at Parramatta. I was going to ask, is there a defining sort of moment? Because you know, when you grow up in a family of faith, you know, sometimes it's taken for granted, but was there actually a, a time when you go, you know, this is, this is actually real, this is something yeah. beyond what my family have just encouraged me to do well i grew up in i grew up in cotton wolf kind of you know i went to i grew up in a christian home i went to my pastor was my uncle i went to christian church i went to a christian school i i was my my environment was very um very similar to what i had at my house um it wasn't until i really started playing Mm. footy that i started experiencing you know i guess the real world um that would have been a shock (laughs) 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 it was but because i was so entrenched in my belief in my faith i um uh, it was easy for me to kind of make some stands and as a 15, 16 year old I I made some decisions like you know deciding not to touch drugs or deciding to you know wait till I was married to have sex and which you were kind of you kind of broke the ice with that as well like I, th- I know you came out publicly but that made it a lot easier for the next generation to kind of speak about it openly because you kind of took a lot of the hits for the next generation coming through which oh, thanks, you know, never really thanked you for that no, but you it did, made it a lot did. easier thanks man um, nice so all those decisions I made as a 15, 16 year old while they were hard when you're young and there's a lot of peer pressure to yeah. want to go out and do things um, it actually made it a lot easier for me as an adult because I grew up and stayed at the same club and a lot of the guys that I was you know in my NRL squad had grown up with me as well like you know, your Jarrett's and your Chris Keating's and Trent Hodkinson's your Tony Williams they were all my age so when it came time to you know go out or do things you know they would say oh don't don't even bother. Don't bother Tim. Don't push Tim because yeah, yeah that's what he's on. And they, there was a bit of a level of respect about it. They in, yeah. they liked that I was that kind of person. But that can backfire too because I remember I was at a, a club after the game, at one of the the rivals clubs, and there was a, an attractive girl that was apparently going to come up to me, and the boys went, "No, don't worry about him." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, she can worry a little. I can, I can, I can talk. I still yeah. remember. <laughs> Yeah, I was 14 years yeah. single. I'm like, I'd like to talk to someone. Yeah, I remember we were in, um, we were in a pub once at a, at a um, at an Origin event once, and there was um, there was two girls there, and they came and sat next to me and Will Hopawati, and they spoke to us for half an hour, or whatever. They, you know, and we just chatted to like young single guys, but we weren't really that into it then. Yeah, were, yeah. And I remember leaving that day and the next day the boys were saying how filthy they were that it was such a waste that these two girls were going to spend their time <laughs> talking to me and Hopper. <laughs> um, yeah. Because on that note, that you, I mean, it, it, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people would see those decisions that you made like in terms of, yes, you know, saving that intimacy for marriage, but you actually do get to learn how to communicate with girls without the, the you know, the, the, the sometimes the the pull on your heart or the, the confusion that sometimes, you know, that can bring like a deeper level of intimacy, you know? Yeah, well, I think I think the next generation is got some real issues with communication in general, not just with females, yeah. but, yeah. Um, you know, being able to like, look someone in the eye or, you know, shake someone's hand or hold a conversation, I think, um, and I'll go back to social media, but with the way the world's going and the, the smaller attention spans is happening and the more texting and, and Instagram and Twitter and all that, I feel like, 
the ability to hold a conversation is actually yeah. um, not as strong as it used to be. So I don't know the answer to that. I know it's probably a bit of a bigger, deeper issue in society. But yeah, I feel like the you know the, the 18, 19, 20 year olds that were coming through as I was finishing definitely um, were a bit different to the ones that were coming through when I was starting. Yeah, I, d- I digress a little bit, but I saw the other day an article on a a, um, a visual star on on Instagram. Um, uh, I forget her name, and but she's not real. She's made up. She's yeah. she's um, uh, she's not an, an animation, but um, you know, absolutely not. Like, no, 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 absolutely. Uh, uh, people have made her up. She's she's um, may, maybe you could qualify it as as animation, but she looks exactly human. And oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got a four hundred thousand oh, followers, yeah, and right. she get the company that. Has, has done this gets paid significantly for her posts and for really yeah and she's not real she's a virtual figure she's and the, yeah, and, right. and it says it on her post you yeah. know what I mean I was just like yeah. far out where's this all where's it all going that's scary, you know? that's scary. for because I think of my son and I, yeah you think you're like you know they did, they didn't have this minefield to and imagine by the time they're only young you know I mean, yeah. imagine by the time they they're fifteen sixteen what. Yeah, who knows, who knows what's in that space? Well, what's that social dilemma? Have you seen that? I have seen it. Yeah, seen it, yeah. It kind of freaks you out when you think about what the, where we're heading. But there's also got. To, I think it's going to get to a head soon. I think there's going to be there's got to be legislation or something that happens where it limits the amount of pull and power that these companies have. But you know, I think, like I said, that's kind of a conversation that's probably a bit out of our. Yeah, it's out of my <laughs> for sure, for sure. No, no, I know, but it's it's something that I you know like. I, I guess it comes down then to parenting, and then you know, obviously, yeah. you, you know, when, what kind of parent would you would you say you are? No, it's. Um, I, I love being a parent. I probably I need to work on being a bit of a tougher parent. I feel like my wife's a disciplinary. Oh, yeah, yeah I'm, really? I'm the soft one. What about you guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I am too. Like this morning, yeah, he goes straight for the cupboard where the chocolate biscuits are. Yeah, and, um, and Beck was just um, just getting doing a bit of in, the, in the outside and. I opened up the cupboard and he shoved about four or five biscuits in his mouth. It just was just like because he knew she wasn't there. He know, he's yeah, only eighteen yeah, months, yeah, smart, and he knew smart, she yeah. wasn't there. So he's shoving them out while she's not there. Yeah, yeah. And she walked in and he looked at her. <laughs> and I said, "It's just between me and you. It's just it's just between me and you." And it was just I don't know. It was the best I mean, moment ever. But I'm a I am a softy man. Bex, yeah. Bex very. She can really. No, you're not, and she just goes into that zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My wife's the same. I go back to being crazy African. Um, can we go back to Shulzy out in the yard? Who, who's doing your yard work here? I, I'm doing it. Okay, is it bad it. at the moment? No, 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 I was impressed. I was, the no, grass no, no, is cut. The, no, the grass is cut, but the thing is, we've got mad bindies and oh, uh, right. really bad bindies. And I, yeah. I went and did the, I sprayed and, um, I borrowed my brother-in-law's um, the the weed killer stuff, and yeah, I've used it all. It was very expensive. He's not getting it back, so <laughs> <laughs> but it's still pretty. <laughs> the bindies are killer, yeah. mate. So, oh. the how is your brother going? Yeah, yeah, good. That was my brother-in-law. Oh, brother-in-law. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, but um, no, that's that's it's 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 interesting, and I think you know as a as a parent now, it's it it it's, it just changes everything in terms of well, I look back on and because I look to you as the leader of the, and you were a leader in, in para, you were captain for, for many years. Yeah. You know, how, how did you think that grow? Did you have a mentor yourself to? Yeah, I, I had many mentors. Like, you know, starting from high school, I had a high school coach that really, you know, instilled a lot of um, great behaviours in me. Um, you know, his motto before we used to play was, you know, Isaiah 40, 20, 31. And 
Um, oh, so he was a he was a Christian. Yeah, I went to a Christian school, and wow. he, was, he was a strong Christian, and you know, he used to be really encouraging throughout my career, um, to the point where I like I kept that habit going. So I used to recite Isaiah 40, 30, 28, 31 before every game. Um, I was running to the field. Great? Yeah, wow. so um, you know, just little things like that as a high school coach, um, and then I had a one coach that kind of coached me in Harold Matthews SG ball in twenties. So he had a big influence on my career, and he's still at Parramatta today. Um, and then I had a guy called um, you know, Joe Weeby who really helped me in terms of like, not I wouldn't say life coaching, but he really you know, he was a great mentor as well. So is Joe the, is is he the one you're an ambassador for? Or that or is, um, that, is that what's Northcott? Is that North oh, no, no, North Point? North Point's North Point. the company my brother works for. Oh yeah, okay okay yeah, sorry so sorry. I'm an ambassador for them um, and, and a couple other different. Companies. Who's the lovely the lovely guy that was at your wedding and. Um, and he's and he, he he was with the Kiwi Test team. He yeah, that's some, true. That's, that's, that's yeah, him, yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so Joe's um, he's a good man. He's a really good. Yeah, man. yeah. And, yeah. You know, a lot of players lean on him. You know, like you know, Tedesco was um, just speaking about him today in the paper. But oh wow, um, yeah, he has a good influence. He's just a really um, really well balanced guy and someone that can really, mm. you know, he helps guide a lot of people in terms of reminding them to enjoy the present moment rather than getting caught up in all the other stuff. So. Yeah, he's he's been a great help in my career. And you've had some great coaches. You had Ricky Stewart, obviously Brad Arthur as well. But was there anyone anyone else that you had? Um, I'm I'm still good mates with Ricky. I like I, I really, oh, really? I really you know, and I th- I'll say that because um, you know, a lot of people don't really, a lot of para fans don't like him because of the way he walked out. And I you know, I, it's pretty controversial when I tell the para fans that I love the guy. Um, yeah, right. But you know, I'll go back to you know when Johnny first got sick. Um, he, Ricky was his coach. And there was a bit of pressure from the board there to like you know, rip up Johnny's contract because you know he was one year into a three year deal and he got cancer and wow um, and Ricky was really staunch with his support of Johnny and making sure that that never happened and isn't that isn't that fair? I didn't know that yeah that, and then, and then he'd fantastic. come out and visit Johnny um, he'd come out to my parents' house and always check in every couple of weeks and just things like that that um, you know really showed the kind of decent human he was um, yeah and I was lucky enough to play Origin with him the following year and then he came to Paris so like I've, I've always had a lot of respect for him and someone that. Um, I really admire the way he coaches, and you know, I'm, I'm really glad to see him get some success now at Canberra. Um, but in terms of para coaches, my favourite was Daniel Anderson. Of course, uh, I forgot about yeah. him. Where, where is he? Where he's, is he at? He's now the head of recruitment at Roosters. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Jeez, he's, he's doing a good job because um, they, they've done so well. But he he was a fantastic coach. Oh, mate, he was awesome. He was so good, and he reminds me a bit of you look at like the Wayne Bennett's and the Craig Bellamy's the good coaches these days and their strength is and he had it in spades was they just don't care what anyone else thinks um, I feel like the new generation of coaches now are so worried about every article and every TV show and every f- fan like that um, whereas those kind of coaches they're just they know they're good coaches and they don't need your approval like oh, I'm, I'm a good coach and, wow, and that's let, great. let me do my job and I think that was his real strength and uh, he had huge, he had heaps of success. You know, he, he got did. the Warriors to a grand final. He won three Challenge Cups and a few, I think a couple of Super Leagues over in England. Yeah, uh, and then came with us, got us to a grand final the first year. And yeah, you know, a bit of I don't know if it was a bit of politics or whatever. But the following year, it was, that, was, that was so strange. I remember I remember him leaving. I was like, what? 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 I was just like, she's just you know what I mean? This, yeah, considering the, the success, you know. But stuff happens at a board level. Oh, just yeah, yeah. yeah. There's just egos, there's this, there's that, yeah. there's there's yeah. different motivations. Mm. It's it's so tricky to get a, a winning combination with it. There's some harmony, I tell you. Yeah, yeah. It's just football clubs are a funny a funny um, world. Like yeah. Uh, you know, if it was like a public run company, it'd be run so much differently. But I feel like because like you said, there's so much 
ego and then there's passion and emotion. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, common sense goes out the window <laughs> with how football clubs get run. You, you mentioned uh, that time with, with Johnny and, you know, for those for those who've just joined us, you know, that um, your brother passed away. Which, which you, was it? He passed away in 2013. 2013, yeah. wow. Do, do you... Um, do you still think about that often? How did how did that affect your family during that time? I know it's a mm. um, yeah. So he he had cancer in two thousand and nine. Spent about nine months getting treated, and then came into remission. Um, came back, started playing first grade again at the Sharks. That's right. Uh, and then we signed him at Parramatta. I remember Paul Gallen announced it yeah. and said his brother's a great player, but we got the better looking. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember, yeah. remember Gasp rusted you, but oh, it was so funny. Yeah. But Johnny was just like, yeah. he was a cool. He was just a cool. He was so yeah. cool. Like he was just like, yeah, we were very different. Him and I, like he, um, yeah, he, he like, in, for example, going back to the off season training. To say we start November one, I would start training uh, early October, trying to get myself in good shape, so I yeah. could kind of just come off, you know, ahead of everyone else, and I'd eat well and. And he'd do absolutely nothing, eat whatever he wanted, and would come back day one, and he'd still beat me in everything, like testing and really. So he was just very um, naturally gifted and very um, yeah, not blasé, but wasn't as obsessed with sport as um, you know, others were. Uh, I think that's kind of his gift. You know, he just people were drawn to him because he was very um, yes, he just rolled with things. Uh, so yeah, in 2013, it, it can't, so he um, so i back at Para, um, and. When he signed back, he was living with me, so him and I were living together in an apartment. And he was killing training. He was off coming first and a lot of things. And but then he'd come home and just curl up in a ball and be in pain. And we didn't know what it was because he was still seeing the cancer doctor at the time. And they'd feel his, you know, for any lumps. And they said, "No, you're fine." But what was happening? Apparently, because he was so muscular, like they couldn't, like they weren't feeling past his muscles. So the whole time there was, you know, there was the cancer's oh. growing out of control, but they couldn't feel anything. Wow. Um, and because he was getting all this, like this pain at night. They just said, just go get another scan just in case. And they got this scan and it was, you know, lit up like a Christmas tree. It was like all over him. So, um, you know, the second time around, he, you know, the treatment wasn't as good. And, you know, he only lasted a few more months after that. Um, so, yeah, to to look back on his, you know, legacy and, and the, I talk about how people were drawn to him. I think they were, they were drawn to him because he had a genuine care for people. Like, he wasn't... He did. Yeah, he yeah, was a soft nature. You're, you're, you're the same. You're, you're the brothers are the oh, same. Oh, we don't... We don't but different, different personalities, yeah, yeah, but, but the yeah, same heart. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So he um he had... A, and he, had, he was very passionate about... Like, like I said, he wasn't passionate about sport. Mm. He was passionate about young people in church and making a difference where... It, you know, he wasn't caught up in sport, the fact where, like, you know, if... Fully disappeared for him. He, he wouldn't have cared as, uh, at all. Yeah, right. Uh, whereas with me, you know, I was like, you know, I was obsessed with sport. So if you know, fully disappeared, I would have been like, oh, you know, yeah, a lot. I would have struggled a lot more. But he, um, as a result of him having all this time to make a difference, even as you know, as recent as last night, I was at a function where a lady came and introduced herself to me, and she said, um, I, "I met your brother at a lymphoma. She had lymphoma as well, the same cancer he had." And she goes, "I've been clear for ten years." And she said, I got to meet him at a function and he was so warm and lovely to me and wow. I've never stopped thinking about the impact he's had on me. And, wow. He touched um, so many people in a, in a short... Yeah. In and a then short even his time. funeral, you know, we had like about four, 5,000 people oh, come to the church and even watch online that got to hear the gospel and hear, and hear, yeah. uh, hear some preaching that you know, probably wouldn't have stepped foot inside a church if it wasn't for him passing away. So mm. I guess my, the moral of the story is even though he died at 23 years of age, you, know, you look... 
at, you know, the impact he had in those 23 years. And you know, a lot of us could live to 80 or 100 and not have reached or had that impact that he had. So um, we get so caught on in worldly time in thinking world, that yeah. you know, 23 years is young, but compared to eternity, you know, yeah. 300 is young. So like yeah. the idea of getting caught up in the years and, and time here on earth, um, I think when you compare it to the, the view of eternity in heaven, it's it's a vapor like the Bible says, you know, it's here today, gone tomorrow. So, do you think of do you think of heaven much, and when you'll see him again? Or? Yeah, well, I actually was listening to a sermon about heaven when he was going through his sickness and the, the weeks after he passed away. I think it was just God's timing, but I remember Judah Smith was doing a, a, a like a, a series based in heaven, and it literally started a couple of weeks before he died, and he went for like four or five weeks after he died. Oh. And he actually changed the way I thought about life. Like it actually made me live with more of a heaven mentality and realizing that in many ways heaven's more real than where we are now. Like yeah. you know, I think sometimes we get caught in the trap of thinking, you know, all that is, you know, temporary, eternity's temporary, and you know, this is like this is where it's it's all about this here and now. Mm. Um but I think when you start re- like looking at the reality and what how long eternity is and how real heaven is and um that's gonna be that's gonna be where we're gonna be spending all our time like this is just literally a, a vapor like we're not here long mm. um, so it's made me realize that while i am here i want to make sure i'm doing everything i can to to point others to christ and let them know that you know we're here on earth for a reason it's not just a coincidence um we're here on earth we're here because we're created for so much more than just to you know live and go to work and come home you know because you know that's beautiful what you've said and like uh, we bought we bought this little game for presently my, my son and um it's one of those ones it's a sort of building type one and you know you put the the squares in the squares and the and the triangles in the triangles and you, then you hammer it down and and you know he's still trying to work out which fits in what and and he was trying to uh, put the triangle in the square and hammer it and hammer it and hammer it and uh, and I, it just hit me at that time that that sometimes that's like like life we we we're trying to fit something in a place that doesn't that doesn't fit yeah. and and for me that that's that would describe my life like before I actually made a commitment to God that you're trying to find satisfaction and and everything else in this place that it just it's it's not designed for that there's no other if if there's no God in that in that you know that hole in your mm. life in your heart so to speak you can't fill it with anything else it yeah. doesn't work yeah. it doesn't it doesn't satisfy absolutely it doesn't so and the, and the, the danger is is that the the challenge i should say is is more so that because we we're, we're living in in and you know visual beings and so forth to to have that eternal perspective is is a powerful thing to have that in your in, in your mindset to be regularly reminded about that this is not this is not the end. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's also, it's also a hope as well, I think. I feel like is, um, yeah. as Christians, we have that hope. And it, I talk about when Johnny passed away. You know, if I wouldn't have got through that, if I didn't have that hope of knowing I'm going to see him again and knowing where he is. And um, and it, I, I, don't, I don't know how people do it without that hope. I don't know how people live life knowing, thinking that, you know, death is the end. Like, or yeah, there's, It's the end, yeah. You know, I think people have to realise that there's so much more then we can actually see, and um, and like I said, that made when he passed away. If you told me a month before he died he was going to die, I would have thought, oh, "No way, I'll get through that." Because wow. he was my housemate, my brother, my travelling mate, my teammate. Yeah. Um, but then to go through it and experience that peace that God gave us, and and experience that um, almost a joy of knowing that you know he's better off. 
um, and he's in heaven with his creator and knowing that we will see him one day like all, all that it, it just made it so much easier because um, he said something at the end there right at the end with your mum it was reported that he said it I'm not, I'm not sure I'm not yeah I remember sure. reading that in the paper uh, was that true or was that, was that, was that yeah I've, to be honest I read that in the paper when he first passed away and never actually had a conversation with my mum oh right um, okay I, don't, I actually wasn't there when I didn't hear that, so I can't verify. Okay, right, right, okay, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I remember reading that paper. I think I, I don't remember even seeing that, but yeah, yeah right, yeah. right, okay. But yeah. I've definitely, um, I've, I've been, I've been, uh, on the deathbed of people that, you know, had that faith and people that don't have faith, and you can definitely feel the difference, like when they're passing away. Like there's, wow, it's you know, it's very real, like the experience when someone's, you no, know, like is at peace when they're passing away. Like Johnny was at twenty three. And there was no fear. There was no. It was just. It was just so peaceful. And then you see someone. You know, it could be even be a, a seventy or eighty year old man that I've, seen, and to see them going with that angst and anger and stress and fear um, definitely makes you realise there's definitely um, a spiritual thing that happens towards the end. So you set set up the the foundation after that, mm. which has done a lot of good. Are really a lot of good. What, what's your ambitions for it, your your visions for it? Yeah, um, well, at the moment it's just more of a vehicle to um, transfer. Like you know, it raise funds, and we just pass it on to a char- like a local charity. Um, we've been partnering with Compassion Australia for the last few years. Uh, it just started because we did the Johnny Manor Cup, so both Cronulla and Parramatta honoured Johnny with a Johnny Manor Cup when they play each other every year. And every year, it was raising funds, and, and the club kept asking us, "What well, do you want us to do with these funds?" And so we just said, "Okay, well, we'll set something up properly." We started the Manor Foundation in, in honour of Johnny. Mm. And like I said, it has served as more of a vehicle. Um, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, there's been some interest from different family members to want to turn into and do its actual work and do some of the groundwork themselves and get hands-on. Um, but at the moment, I think it serves well just as um, partnering with local charities and helping them and, and championing them as well. That's fantastic, mate. Man, I really appreciate you opening up about that because, um, you know, Johnny was... Uh, I, you know, Brad Brad Mackay. You know, uh, when I when I spoke to him as well, he shared a bit about the you know the passing of his wife, and it's you know it's he like yourself, like yourself. He he um obviously it was an extremely difficult period, but he had he had that hope to to move on. Mm. But but you know, so I really appreciate you. And if anyone you know wants to to check out the foundation as well, it's manafoundation dot dot org as well, which would be great just to mm. check it out to see if. You'd like to contribute to, to some of the great work. You got any any plans to 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 go back to? Uh, you went you went to Uganda. Was it last year or this yeah, year? Yeah, went to Uganda last year. I actually just watched the final cut of um, the documentary that's that's finished up now. So um, oh wow, well, what, what was that? Just, so you filmed when you were there? So yeah, so one? Hustle Media, the, the media team came over with us. Um, they're the ones that organised for Ryan and Christian oh, to come. Fantastic, that's um, great. And they put together a really good package. So they're at the moment. They're at the moment of. I think they're pitching it to a few different um, broadcasters to see, see if they which way they go. But um, it's that's great. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see, and hopefully that can um, give everyone a bit of insight to the work that Compassion's doing over there, and, and um, I guess get to know the, the two boys better as well because you get to see a good side of them and see them kind of open up and experience that part of Africa. I was fortunate to go to uh, Bogota, Colombia, with Compassion and film yeah. and film there, and w- yeah, went saying that. Yeah, yeah, went went to one of the um, the you know the barrios they call it the the sort of the villages slums. and the slums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, literally there were all these kids lined up to to come and get um, lunch, and then there was another group that were 
were also lined up, but they were sort of uh, not allowed to come in. And I remember speaking to the head of Compassion there, and he said, "They're not sponsored. We don't have enough yeah, resources yeah. to feed them." And that was that was that was just like it was heartbreaking. They had like five million yeah. people living in tin sheds in in Colum- in in Bogota, Colombia. And then we went to Cartagena, where we, you know, spoke to some very young girls who had were being trafficked and there was nothing we could do. Some of them were there by their parents' mm. wishes out of desperation to earn money. They were sold. Yeah. It's just a, it's just another world, Tim. Yeah. Well, it's another world. It must be hard coming back and then seeing the wealth and the – we've got the five-star dream here in Australia. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and not and – out of mind, out of out of sight in a way. Sometimes you know, but how do you keep that in your heart as you as you, with what you do with your money, what you mm. do with your time? Well, the average Australian would would easily be in the top three percent of wealth in the country in the world. So mm. like, um, so to go over there and see how how real the world is and and what people are actually going through, uh, it's easier to watch like a World Vision ad on TV and see a kid in Africa and just kind of look through them. Um, and not and just think it's just a picture almost, but then you go there and experience it. Each each one of those kids is an actual mm. human with their own story and their own feelings mm. and their own emotions. And, and that you, could that could be your son in, in or your daughter. You know, right, what I mean? we, that we, could be. We didn't choose where we were born. They didn't choose where they were born. So no, they no. they get to choose the circumstances that they were raised in. Um, so to go there and see how real it is, and like you were talking about with the sponsorship, just to know, like we we were shown around by a guy called Richmond who. Uh, he's making huge impact in Africa, all the countries around Uganda. But he took us to the slums that he grew up in, um, and you know now he's he's got a he's got a great education. He's he's got his own um, Bible academy that he trains pastors in. Um, he travels the world, you know, doing talks, and to hear his story about and and to walk in the slums that he grew up in, and to him to show us what it was like for him to grow up. Mm. And the one thing that he said that was pretty powerful was his his view on poverty wasn't nothing to do with finances. It was when people used to look at him and look through him as in, like he, as if he didn't exist. Uh, and that's something we could never imagine because everywhere we go in Australia, you know, everyone has some value on them. It doesn't matter who you are. People will recognise you as a human. But, um, you know, for someone to say that they felt that people just looked through them like they weren't even there, I can only imagine how that must feel for someone. Mm. Um, and it took a 15-year-old girl in the UK to put her hand up and decide to... Um, sponsor him it was I think about $30 a month and that changed the trajectory of not just his life but his mm. family's life his community's life mm. and now the impact he's having the countries all around Africa so one 15 year old girl by sponsoring a child has made an impact to mm. thousands of people in, in that area so mm. um, it is pretty powerful to think of how much a, a small difference to our life can make to someone's whole future over there Tim like I Actually, we we're going to be at the end, but something came to mind. Like, because you've seen all this stuff, and then, you know, like sometimes there's, there's a part of us that goes, "God, you know, how do you how do you allow the the, the poverty? How do you allow?" And it, and it beckons the question of why does God allow, you know, bad things to mm. sort of happen? And I I know this is going to seem um, it's not a great segue or transition, but but you know, you finished your career. And it wasn't the ideal way, and it was disappointing, and it was probably gut wrenching to mm. to finish. Um, because same with me, I got I got stretched off with my shoulder popped out, and um, 
And I, I always thought I'd get a grand final finish. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. was carried yeah. off in, in an extraordinary amount of pain, and and uh, yeah. but soon had twenty mils of morphine, so that was okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which was way too much. <laughs> and I was sick for two weeks, but that's another story. Yeah. But but you know, you, sometimes the 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 ending is not. It's different. It's different to what you know we imagine. And how, how did you come to terms with that? Yeah, it's definitely. Um when you're going through it, you can't, it's, it's hard for you to understand. You don't really understand why you're going through it and, you know, why God allows that to happen. And um, I, I was, yeah, I, I was I was pretty pretty blown away. Like, I'd seen a lot during my time in sport and I knew, um, you know, not everyone gets the perfect finish, but there was a lot of things I couldn't understand about last year and, and I couldn't understand how people that I considered friends or people that, you know, uh, had close relationships with me that um, were just so willing to um, throw you under the bus yeah so, well it didn't it felt like it didn't bother people like it felt like yeah and you know if it was, I was just put myself in their shoes I'm like well if I was in their shoes and I saw someone going through that I wouldn't I wouldn't just sit by and allow something like that to happen but um, but I've seen it happen so much in sport like you know I'm not the first person that's yeah. had a had a, um, a finish I didn't like and I wouldn't be the last one um, and like I said when you're going through it at the time it feels like it feels like it's the end of the world when you're going through it. Um, but sometimes it takes hindsight. I've only been out of it for 11 months and I look back now and I'm thinking, I can't believe I let you know, something as small as like, you know, the last few months of my career affect me that much to the point where I felt like my world was you know, crashing in. Like, you know, I felt mm-hmm. like I had so many knives on my back and felt like, the, like it was, the whole world was against me. And now you look back at it and you know what, like it was sport, it was part of my career, but I've moved on with your life. You know, I've still got a healthy family. I've got, you know, I'm, Financially, everything's fine. Like I've got a new, new chapter of life. I'm into. I'm, I'm yeah. heading into. But at the time, it's but at the it, time. It, yeah, it stings. It stings. It stings. And, oh yeah. Yeah, and at the time, um, yeah, and I, I touched on a bit before about sport and the and the industry that you head in. It's a pretty ruthless industry. And yeah, I knew that was part of the deal going into it. Um, I think the thing about sports different to most other industries is a lot of people in sport. They, that's all they know, and if they if they aren't in sport, they they really struggle. Um, so they're all willing to do whatever it takes to hold on to that spot in sport. So it doesn't. I think that's when the ethics kind of start being bent. Like people going to start allowing the ethics to take a bit of a yeah things things that they probably wouldn't have allowed going into sport. They yeah. they start making excuses for because they need that their certain role mm-hmm. their position and. Um, and it's not like that everywhere in the world. Like I'm starting to learn now. Like obviously, you know, corporate corporate world still got its own you know um, flaws. But um, yeah, I found that 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 was one thing about the sporting world. Everyone's just a lot of people are in job protection mode, and it's a it's a tough industry to be in. And yeah, you know, it's not Australia. It's you know you look at America. America is twice as ruthless as us. You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was talking to someone in the NFL, and they said they've got a guy there who's um, every club's got a guy, and his name is a Grim Reaper, and literally. His one job is to walk to training, and if they see him coming, they know someone's getting sacked. Oh, so he'd come, tap you on the shoulder, and say, "Bring your playbook and meet the coach's office." Oh, that's so that you'd be on the training field and you see this guy walking, walking down. Um, so yeah, like I, like oh, I said, you know, gosh. Australian sport. I think, and I think the reason why Australia struggles so much with like you know, like I, I get a lot of people question about me about my ending and how much, and the reason why it doesn't sit well with us because Aussies we just like 
everyone's mates and everyone's yeah, like looks after right, each other. That's right, yeah. Um, but I think we are heading into that place where it is getting more professional and it's getting more ruthless. Yeah, it's got to get yeah. To, and it will get to the point where it will get to like America where it's, you know, it's just a business, you know, like, you know, you've done your time, off you go. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know. There's still it, a way it, to do it, I think. There's yeah. still a way to do it. I think that's that's better. But, you know, yeah. we don't want to make the right decisions, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. We'll leave that. There. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mate. Thanks so much, Anya, for, uh, for for joining us, and and uh, you know, I'd love to speak to Joe too. I reckon he'd be a great interview. Yeah, he'd be good yeah, to have chat with. Yeah, that'd, that'd be yeah. awesome. Thanks so Sweet. much, mate. And and once again, check out manorfoundation.org. dot org. You can learn more about Timmy's family and and uh, the great causes that they uh, support. This has been the Spirit of Sport. Thanks so much for joining in. See you next week. I'm Jason Stevens. Sorry about the noise. My neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto? Don't work on your deck. Play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.